Take your Bible this morning, if you brought it, turn to Acts chapter 8. Whew. It's been a week. It's been a good week. But it's been a heavy week. There's been a lot that's taken place for a lot of you and in my life as well. The burdens are heavy. Aren't you thankful that the grace grows as the burdens grow? His grace is sufficient. Acts chapter 8, we're about to come to a transition here in the early church. I want you to stay with me this morning because we're going to be referring back to some of the events that we've looked at in the preceding seven chapters in our study here in the book of Acts. Because there is a major turning point taking place in the story of the gospel as it moves forward as part of God's plan. It's easy to trust God when everything makes sense to you. But what about when your best friend dies? Can you trust God when life falls apart? How do you trust God when everything that you've believed in and hoped in, all the excitement that you put your heart into, when all of it gets destroyed? On Acts chapter 8, that's, that is what the people there in the church are facing. For some, their best friend Stephen has just been killed. He's been stoned. And then Saul, this horrible guy Saul, he's coming in and breaking into people's houses and dragging them out and throwing them in prison for following Christ. It is a dark day in the church at Jerusalem. I want you to, before we look at Acts chapter 8, stick your finger there, go back to Acts 1, because I want to remind you of the promise that Jesus left with his followers before he ascended up to heaven. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, and this verse is so key to Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. Uh, that's just kind of a cool thing, Acts 1, 8 and Acts 8, 1. But you'll see some of how this works together this morning, I think. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 says this. These are the words of Jesus. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. So they're going to get power, and the power is going to come from the Holy Ghost. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. So, all right, I know we're jumping around here a little bit, but I'm trying to lead you down a path. We're going to be in Acts chapter 8, but mentally take yourself back to Acts chapter 1, the promise we just read, and then take yourself through some of the events that have occurred over the last few chapters. How is the Acts 1-8 promise working itself out? Well, so far we already know that the Holy Ghost came upon them. They received power. God was faithful to do what He said He would do. 
They received power. After that, the Holy Ghost was come upon them. And they were witnesses in Jerusalem. Think about it. Things have been off to a great start. They received the Holy Spirit. Peter gets up and preaches. 3,000 people got saved at Pentecost. That was a good day. Yeah, there were some bumps along the way. Peter and John got thrown in prison. Remember that? But then the angel came along and set them free. That was a good day. And then all the apostles were thrown in prison and they were threatened, but then they later were let go as well. People were being saved. They were being added to the church. Now, you may be thinking, but wait a minute. There was that story about Ananias and Sapphira. Yes. Because just like any place, there's no perfect people. And sin came into the church through the people as they turned away from God and went their own way. And they lied to God and they lied to the church. And God dealt with that very severely, very directly. But the church refocused on the Lord and even more people came to Christ and the church continued to go forward. And then remember, there were some growing pains. We would say, these are good problems, growing pains. It means something is happening. I remember as a teenager having growing pains, my knees and my ankles and everything else. Some of you may have never experienced growing pains, but if you grew to be 6'5", you would have had a lot of growing pains a lot of the way. There's a lot of stretching that takes place. And as the church was growing, as it was stretching, there were some growing pains. Remember the, the widows, the Grecian widows, these Greek ladies were not being taken care of like the other ladies were. They were being overlooked. And so the church selected seven men, good godly men, and they had them begin to oversee this daily ministration to these ladies so that the apostles could give themselves continually to the word and to prayer. That was a real growing pain. It was a real problem, but they worked through it. And God continued to carry the church forward. So let's go back to the promise. It's still on the screen. Ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Did it take place? Yes. All right. I'm just making sure you're awake. It's all right. And, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem. Had the Jerusalem part taken place? Yeah. But the promise doesn't finish there. Do you see the rest of Acts 1.8? It says both in Jerusalem. So it's not in Jerusalem, just in Jerusalem. It's both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria. Green, You'll see in a few minutes. We're going to get there. And unto the uttermost part of the earth. So God had made a promise. The promise is not completely fulfilled yet. The gospel is going forth. They had received the Holy Spirit, but it's just in Jerusalem at this point. And that brings us to Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says, And Saul was consenting unto his death. His, that's Stephen's death. Stephen's the one we looked at a couple weeks ago who was stoned to death for preaching the gospel, the first martyr. Saul, this man 
who we know was from Tarsus, who was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was trained up in the school of Gamaliel. He was a man who had as much Bible teaching and Bible learning as you could get at that point in time. He, was, he kept himself clean and holy. He ate the right things. He did the right things. He did everything that he was supposed to do. And you said, but how is he murdering people too? Well, because he had put in his own, you know, he had explained it away that this man was going against the ways of God. Stephen wasn't going against the ways of God. He was just saying, Christ is the answer. So because of that, Saul has rationalized it out in his own mind. He's not just rationalized it out. Verse 1 says, he was consenting unto his death. That word to consent means he heartily agreed with his death. And then it continues on. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, get back to him again. He made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Acts chapter 8 does not start out very promising for the church. I want you to see with me this morning the title of the message, From Pain to Praise. From Pain to Praise. God always keeps His promises. Do you believe that God always keeps his promises? Do you believe that God always wins? Do you believe that he's always with you? Do you believe that Jesus is coming back soon? Do you believe that he has the power to forgive sins and to save? When we pick up the story here, things don't look good for the church. They had started off with a bang, but now strong enemies are coming against them. Stephen had been stoned to death for preaching the gospel and now the greatest human enemy that the church had ever faced stepped onto the scene. His name was Saul. Saul of Tarsus. I want you to see first of all this morning, if you're taking notes, it's the first one, first blank you have there. The persecution of Saul brought great pain to the church. The persecution of Saul brought great pain to the church. How did it bring such great pain? Well, first of all, the church lost one of its great men. Stephen, a man full of the word, full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit's power, and full of grace, he died for the cause of Christ. And I am so thankful that God is recorded for us in Psalm 116, verse 15, where he says, Precious In the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Stephen didn't die without a purpose. Stephen didn't die because God failed. God knew it. God had a plan for it. God was working. But it didn't take away the fact that the church lost one of its great men. We know the death of Stephen was very painful for the church. It tells us here in our text, verse 2, And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. Now, Stephen had been stoned to death 
after being convicted in a Jewish court of law. Did you know they weren't, if you'd been convicted and to die in a Jewish court of law, you weren't supposed to be taken and given a proper burial. They were just supposed to pile up the stones on top of you and leave it there as a memorial for everybody else to see. These men in the church were willing to risk stoning themselves or being stoned themselves to go and to bury their friend. That's how much they cared about Stephen. Think about this. Stephen was a man we know who was participating in the daily ministration of the widows. You wonder how many widows were in the church at that point? How many of them knew Stephen personally? He was the one responsible for making sure they got the food that they needed, taking care of their needs. I'm sure those widows were feeling that loss. Stephen is a great teacher and preacher of God's Word. He demonstrates that in Acts chapter 7 as he gets up and preaches this message. The church lost a great servant. The church lost a great leader. The church lost a man who loved people and loved the Word of God. But God's work wasn't over. When Stephen died, the people mourned greatly for him. But God always has a plan. As Brother Larry says, God always has a ram in the bush. He always has a way. God's plan was bigger than Stephen and it is bigger than you and me. If it was God's plan for you not to ever experience pain in your life, then we should have seen three people today after they got baptized just be ascended up into heaven, right? Or these ladies who trusted Christ this week after they got saved just, well, there goes Teresa. Or somebody who comes and says, well, I'm ready to join the church. Okay, there they go. No, that's not how God's plan works, right? But a lot of times that's how people live and expect God to sort of take care of them. Like, God, why are things hard? I I trusted in you. I'm, I'm saved. God, why are things so difficult? Why are people against me? I'm just trying to be baptized and be obedient. God, I've joined the church. I've committed to you. I'm even giving to the Lord. Why are things so hard? It's because sometimes God's plan for us even includes pain. And you're going to see with me this morning how God used this pain of persecution in the church to accomplish His plan. We can't take such a small-minded view of the world and our circumstances to think that God is somehow incapable of working through pain to bring about His glory. It was painful. One of their great men had died. We also see the church was scattered because of this persecution. Look back at verse 1 in the middle of the verse. It says, And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now we'll come back to that, but if you were paying attention and thinking back to Acts 1.8, Judea and Samaria are the next two places on the list, aren't they? But I'm guessing most of the followers of Jesus weren't thinking about the Acts 1.8 promise at this point. They were just thinking about what, it, what had caused them to be scattered. What would it take? 
What kind of persecution would it take for you to have to sneak out of your house at night, leave all your possessions behind, and go and move to another place? That would take a pretty hefty amount of persecution, wouldn't it? I mean, we like to fight for what's ours. We're going to figure out a way around it if we can at all costs. The persecution was so intense on the church that they were scattered. They left behind homes, possessions, relationships, jobs, connections, friendships, and just left. They were scattered. This was intense. I don't want to fly by this and think, well, yeah, it was kind of tough, and some people moved away to go be missionaries over there. No, they, it was like forced missionary service. It was like, we're going to die if we stay here, so we have to get out. We're leaving everything else behind. We're going because it's too dangerous for us to be here anymore. And you say, God would allow his children, his church, to go through something that intense? Why would God do that? Does God just enjoy beating up on people? The church was scattered. My friend, persecution should not surprise you if you're a believer. In fact, later after Paul came to Christ... He made this statement as he wrote to Timothy, his son in the faith, in 2 Timothy 3.12. He said, yea, yes, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It's going to be hard. It was great pain because one of their great men was taken. It was great pain because the church was scattered. It was also very painful because this extended to every home. This wasn't just a few select individuals, right? Even in our own church family, we have family members that are going through hard things. And as a church family, we want to reach out to them and love on them and encourage them. We can't necessarily go through it for them, but we want to go through it with them, right? We want to bear one another's burdens. This was so intense, though. This wasn't just like, well, sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so is on the prayer list. We're all praying for them. We're taking meals to them. We're going over to see them. We're encouraging them. This was affecting everybody. Look at verse 3. It says, as for Saul, he made havoc. It was complete destruction and devastation of the church. What did he do? He entered into every house. He tried to find every single person he possibly could that claimed to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And he went into their house and he hailed men and women and committed them to prison. Hailing men and women means he grabbed them and drug them out. This was by force. I mean, just a couple chapters prior to this in the book of Acts, the houses were being shaken by the Holy Spirit's power. Now the houses are being shaken by the persecution. What a contrast. What is God doing? God, the church was going pretty well. Thousands of people being saved. And now you're going to come in and just take a hammer to it and let this wicked guy, Saul, do it. God, why don't you just wipe him out? Aren't you thankful that God didn't wipe you out when you were in, dead in your trespasses and sins? He's rich in mercy. He's not one to repentance. It's easy for us to look at those people outside and say, they're, they're terrible people. I don't know what good could ever come of them. Well, if you've studied the book of Acts, you know the rest of the story here. You know what's going to happen with Saul, and we're just a, ch a chapter away from that, by the way. But 
the people in this moment in Jerusalem, they weren't living in chapter 9. They were living in chapter 8. I want to encourage you, you may be in chapter 8 right now. You say, bankruptcy? <laughs> Not that kind of chapter, chapter 13. Cha you know, all kind of different chapters that can get in trouble, right? You may be in chapter 8. God still has a chapter 9. God has a plan. He's not done. But in the moment, they're scattered. Their best, one of their best is taken away. This persecution, this pain is going into every house. Paul himself talked about this later on in Philippians 3, 6. He said, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. In Acts 22, 4, he says, and I persecuted this way unto the death. I, I killed people. Binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. He was doing his best to stamp out Christianity. And you know, God loves Saul. How could God love somebody that's doing so much harm to his church? That's a love that I can't explain. That's a love that goes beyond human comprehension. But in reality, the fact that God would love you and me really goes beyond human comprehension too. Because there is none righteous. No, not one. For all have sinned and come short so it's like, well, I got pretty close. No, you came short of the glory of God. And the more we look at our own lives, we realize how far short we have come. God loves you. God loves Saul. And God loved his church. And how, how does God put all that together? He's God. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. They're much higher. The things God is doing, the things God is putting together, things we may not fully be able to wrap our mind around. But what we do know is that they would receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost had come upon them. We do know that they would be witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea, and in Samaria, and into the uttermost part of the earth. The first part had taken place, but the rest had not yet. And God, in all of His knowledge and all of His wisdom, said, the best way for this to take place is to allow the pain of persecution to come upon the church. And that leads us to number two, the plan of God continued to spread the gospel. The plan of God continued to spread the gospel. Back in our text in Acts chapter 8, verse 1 says, And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. That word scattered is also used again in verse 4. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad. 
The Greek word there is, is from diaspora. It's, it's, where, it's the word used to describe seed as it's being planted. Think about this. All right, you're going to have to imagine this. Because in Jerusalem, okay, there's been thousands of people saved. The Bible often describes the work of God as being like a harvest, right? And so in Jerusalem, there had been this great harvest. All these people had come to Christ. Now, what do you do with your harvest? Well, you get it, you put it up, you take it out of the field, you store it up so you can use it later. And often, remember, even Jesus tells a story about a man who had a great harvest and he built bigger barns to store it all. And so God has just gathered in this great harvest in Jerusalem. But God's plan was not to just say, well, I've got the harvest from Jerusalem. That's good. No, God's plan went far beyond Jerusalem. And so God took that harvest, that seed, that fruit from that harvest, and he didn't just hang on to it. He decided to take some of that harvest and scatter it out. Here's all these souls that have been saved in Jerusalem. But God's plan was bigger than Jerusalem. God knew that the way that he was going to reach the rest of the world was with some of that harvest from Jerusalem as it was scattered out to Judea and to Samaria and later, as we'll see in a few weeks, to the uttermost part of the world. God allows pain and persecution to be a part of his plan to get the gospel all around the world. Have you ever thought about that, that the pain that God has allowed in your life is so that God can get the gospel out to more people? You know, your experiences, your background, your struggles that you've been through were not by accident. I remember having a conversation just recently with somebody and saying, you know, the the pain, the struggle that you're going through right now, I, I believe if you'll continue to walk with God through this, God will bring along other people who are struggling with similar things and you're going to be able to encourage them as well. And I've already seen that begin to play out in different people's lives. That's a blessing. I, going through the pain of persecution is no fun. Losing a loved one, being scattered, feeling the effects like everywhere you turn, it's on you. But God's plan is not over. See, God had promised that they would be witnesses in Judea and Samaria. Again, I'm going to quote from Paul later in his life. He's really good to quote from later in his life, not early in his life, because early in his life it wasn't very good. But later in his life, he was locked up in prison himself for preaching the gospel just like he was running around locking other people up for preaching the gospel. And in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, Paul says this, But I would have you understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Now, often when we look at our lives and we see the pain and the struggle and the difficulty that comes, I don't know what good could ever come out of this. Maybe there are some circumstances you've been through say, well, I can see what God's doing here. But there are a lot of situations, I have no idea what God could be. Why would God allow this? Paul said, the things that have happened to me, I want you to understand. They've happened 
for the furtherance of the gospel. Jesus Christ himself said this in Matthew 10, 23 to 24, But when they persecute you in this city, flee into another. For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. If they persecuted Jesus, they're going to persecute you. God uses persecution and pain to push his people into the plan that God has for them with their life. Because most fruit just wants to hang out in the barn. And God wants to take that seed and scatter it out so that this world may hear that Jesus saves. God didn't love you and not love somebody else. God loved the whole world. You may have trusted Christ, praise the Lord, and that's only because God loved you. But God loves a lot of people that haven't trusted in Him yet. And God wants to use us. The things you faced in your life are part of God's plan to take the gospel around the world. God promised they would be witnesses. Saul attempted to destroy the church. Back in Acts chapter 8, it says, verse 3, As for Saul, he made... Havoc of the church. Now think about that because the way it's stated there in our translation is like it was very final. He just made havoc. He, he tore it up. I was studying on the, the Greek tenses and having some fun with that this week there. The idea is there he, he attempted to make havoc of, of the church. Because while it might have seemed like he was making havoc of the church, did he really destroy the church? No. And do you know why I know it would be impossible for him to destroy the church? In fact, I know it's impossible for anybody to destroy the church. Go back in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Jesus said this. But I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Saul thought he was wreaking havoc on the church. Did he bring some pain and persecution? Absolutely. But nothing can, nothing ever will stand against the Lord our God. He always wins. So we see God's plan moving forward, God's plan of going to Judea and Samaria. We see God's plan that even though Saul tried to destroy the church, it just continued on. We see God's plan even in Philip, one of those original seven deacons who goes on as an evangelist to Samaria. Isn't it amazing? Stephen was one of those seven, now Philip. God just keeps calling out these men who had shown themselves faithful in the little things. They were willing to serve and wait tables. And now God's calling them as preachers and teachers and evangelists to go and to share the gospel. Philip was not an evangelist, or I'm sorry, not an apostle. He was an evangelist. He was not an apostle. But God used him. God used him. Philip even performs miracles here, we're going to see. God gave him incredible power. God's plan continues to march forward. I want you to see finally with me this morning, the praise of the people was pointed to God. Look at the contrast 
between verse 1 and verse 8. Verse 1 says, Saul was consenting to his death, and at that time there was a great persecution. They were all scattered abroad. Now, jump down to verse 8. It's a really short verse. If you're reading fast, you might have just jumped over it. It says that there was great joy in that city. What happened to take these people from persecution and pain to praise? That's only eight verses. A lot of events happen in between there. Scattering, packing up families. Where are we going to go? Oh, let's go over here to Judea. That's far away from Saul. Let's go to Samaria. Let's go. We don't want to go to Samaria. Those Samaritans, God's pushing them to places they didn't want to naturally go to. There was great joy in that city. Let's look back and see why there was great joy in that city. Look at verse number five. Sorry, start at four. Let's start with four. Therefore, they were scattered abroad, went everywhere, preaching the word. Here it is specifically. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Why was there great joy in the city? Well, because Philip preached Christ to them. When you preach Christ, it brings joy to people. Now, did it bring joy to everybody? No, not to Saul, not to the Sanhedrin, not to the Pharisees, not to the people running around trying to persecute him, but preach Christ. Isn't it interesting? I mean, think back. The apostles in Jerusalem had been thrown in prison for preaching what? For preaching Christ. Stephen had been stoned to death for preaching what? Christ. Preaching the message of Jesus Christ. So Philip, as he's being scattered because of the persecution, what does he do? Does he go and say, you know what? We're not going to talk about Christ anymore. That keep, they, people keep getting killed for that one. People keep getting thrown in prison for that one. I, I, I'm going to find something a little bit easier to talk about. Something that people don't mind quite as much. Something that people will come and listen to me and not be as, as bothered by it because I'm tired of seeing good people die for preaching Christ. Isn't there something else that would be a little bit easier message to get across to people? No, that's not what Philip did. He simply preached Christ. Simply preached Christ. Persecution comes and persecution goes, but the message should never change. Jesus saves. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 to 23. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. That's quite a statement there. In the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. Ever thought about that? So you mean to tell me that the way things are, that's part of God's wisdom and God's plan? Yeah. Yeah. By the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom, their own wisdom, knew not God. What does he say here? It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching. You're like, oh, yeah, we've seen a lot of that this morning. <laughs> the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign. And the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we, we preach Christ. 
We preach Christ crucified unto the Jews, a stumbling block. They didn't like it. It was a stumbling block to them. That's why Stephen was stoned, because of the stumbling block that was Christ. And then the Greeks, Paul experienced this later when he preached there at Mars Hill. It's foolishness. But just because it's a stumbling block to some and it's foolishness to others doesn't mean we should change the message. We preach Christ. We preach Christ. Because Christ is all this world needs. Christ is the hope. Christ is the answer. Christ is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Him. Many people try to find their own way to God. Well, I work. I pay taxes. I give to charity. I'm a good person. My friend, I'm thankful for all those things that you do. But that's not the way to God. You don't get to come to God on your own terms. You have to come His way. Or you don't get there at all. Straight is the gate and narrow is the way, he says, and few there be that find it. You know why? Because there are a lot of people searching and looking for the way, but they're trying to find their own way. And there are as many religions as you could even count to saying, well, we have a way. How about you try this way? There are many people, they may not even call them. So try this book, try this food. Try this exercise. Try this. This is the way to happiness. This is the way to health. This is the way to completion. This is the way to fulfillment. There are so many ways. How do I know which is the right way? It's Christ. You say, well, how do you know? For by grace you are saved through faith. You have to trust in Him. But the wonderful thing is, as you trust the Word of God, the Word of God has the answers. The more you study it, the more God reveals Himself to us. The more God reveals Himself to us, the more it becomes clear that trusting in Him is the way. If you'll come to God with a humble heart saying, God, if you're really the way, show me, make it clear to me, God will do that. The things you faced in your life are part of God's plan to bring the gospel to you and to take the gospel around the world. Philip made it to Samaria because of the persecution in Jerusalem. Saul of Tarsus heard the gospel because of Stephen being brought before the Sanhedrin. Next week, we're going to look at a couple more guys, Simon the sorcerer and the Ethiopian eunuch. God starts saving really weird people. I'm thankful he saved some strange people. A lot of us wouldn't have much hope if he didn't save strange people. As Brother Clayton would say, the gospel light attracts some strange bugs. And he'd probably have his hand here when he did it. By the way. I'm thankful that God loves people. Boy, Simon the sorcerer, you can read ahead if you want. He's a mess. Even after he gets saved, he's still a mess. <laughs> Ethiopian eunuch, he's confused. Mm. God was working to accomplish his plan, just as he had promised in Acts 1.8. Because the people now in Samaria, instead of worshiping Simon the sorcerer, they trusted in Christ. Because they were worshiping him. Because he was doing these little 
miracles or tricks and people were following him because, of, wow, this guy, he, he's got some pretty amazing power. But God saved him too. The gospel brought joy to that city. There's no greater joy than seeing people changed by the power of the gospel. Maybe you've gotten away from that. Maybe this morning you've never experienced that change in your life. Can I tell you, there's nothing in this world greater than having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'll come to Him just as you are, i got to get all this straight. No, come to Him right now. Confess your sin to Him. Trust in Him. He alone has the power to save. I don't know how to do that. Call upon Him. Talk to Him. He can hear you. He's right here with us. Maybe you have trusted Christ, but it's been a long time since you've really experienced that renewal work of the Holy Spirit in your life because you've just kind of strayed away. You're busy doing your thing. I never thought of myself as a bad person. I can find a lot of other bad... I've already trusted in Jesus. I've even been baptized. There are a lot of people a lot worse than me. In fact, some of them are members of churches. Yeah, yeah, they are. And other people, the devil would love love for you to use other people as your excuse for why you're not going to walk with God. But the Lord loves you. If he would do all this to his church, allowing them to be put to death, scattered, thrown in prison, just because he wanted to make sure the gospel got to Judea and Samaria, how much has God done to demonstrate his love for you? See, he sent his son, his only begotten son, to die for you. And then he's willing to persecute his own church. So that more people can hear the gospel. God could even do that here. God could allow things here that were painful, that were difficult, that in time might push people out to other places around this community, around this world. And going through it is not something I'm praying for or looking for. But it's something if God allows, I want to be ready for to be faithful, to follow Him and serve Him. Verse 1, persecution. Verse 8, praise. What happened in the middle? Scattering, preaching Christ, and people trusting in Jesus. Our message doesn't change. Our mandate doesn't change. God's plan hasn't changed. God's promises are faithful. If you're here this morning and God has spoken to you, you're sitting there going, I know God wants me to take, I've been holding back because I've got somebody else that is frustrating me or they're a hypocrite or they're this or that. And so that's why I haven't done it. Please look past them to the Lord today. Because God loves you. God wants to use you. Don't make excuses. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, He wants you. His Son, Jesus, died for you. 
he's willing to go to great lengths and has already done so to get the gospel to you. Don't reject him. Trust in him. You may be following the Lord with all your heart, the best you know how, and you may be going through something very painful. You may look at it and say, God, I don't know why. Why would you do this to me? God, I've tried to be faithful. I've tried to do what you want me to do. It's just hard. Like God's just scattering me. He, he, he's just allowing stuff to come in and just kind of break up all that stuff that was good in my life. Lost friends, lost relationships. I, I've lost comfort. God, what are you doing? I don't know what all God's doing, but I do know that He's going to be faithful to fulfill His plan that He laid out in Acts 1.8. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the world. And when the gospel goes forth, I believe God does His work. And we've seen it here in this little place. David and Adriana are seeing it in their little place. The Shelbys are seeing it over there in Kenya. The Joneses are seeing it over there in Russia. Other churches are seeing it as they're preaching the gospel wherever God has put them. What are they seeing? That God is bringing joy to that city. And may God bring joy to this city through a faithful church that's willing to serve God and do whatever He asks us to do. Would you pray with me? Lord, we love you. I want to pray now, Lord, for anybody that could, might be here. You, you don't know, or you know, I don't know their hearts. Anybody that's here and doesn't know you as their Savior. Pray that they would seek you. They would know and hear your love through your word this morning. Your spirit would convict them and that they would trust in you as Savior this morning. Lord, for those who know you, some are going through painful things, others have been through them, and all of us will at some point go through trials and struggles, even persecution. May we trust in you and walk by faith. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray.